Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. Zero Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Nothing, nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. The sheer amount of people that are doing it and the kind of spiritual significance behind it turn this very simple thing into something super powerful. India will let you know real quick when you are not on the right path. So Nirvana then is Tahoe, California. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim. And I'm Evan. We got a great one for you today with Ryan Salm, a professional photographer based out of Tahoe, California. He's also a documentary filmmaker and uh, one of the stars of the film Karma Bums, which is available right now on Amazon, which documents him and his crew's trip stand-up paddleboarding down the Ganges River, one of the craziest rivers in the world, and these guys paddleboarded. The only thing I know about the Ganges River is that it is supposedly one of the most polluted uh, rivers in the world, and that if you shave your face using water from that river then you can get like an infection and die and i'm curious to ask him above all else if that's actually true or if that's a tall tale well we're going to get into a bunch with uh with ryan here in a few minutes but i want to start off today with a really pressing hot takes question to kick off our hot takes segment Evan, you recently drove cross country moving back to the east coast from colorado so i'm i'm curious the difference you've noticed in dating culture between the Western US and the East Coast. Yeah, I think for sure there's a difference in dating culture. I think that when I first got to Colorado, uh, first, like this is pre-pandemic, but the first uh, few weeks I went on a date from Bumble, right? And immediately the girl's like, you know, normally in the East Coast, it's like, okay, let's go out for drinks. That's the standard thing, go out for drinks. Colorado, immediately the girl says, so should we go for a hike? And I was like, uh, what? You want to go for a hike like as our first date like that's doesn't that sound a little like a little active to you <laughs> and uh she's like yeah 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 go for a hike like well i, I know like a, i know a pretty short one's good i'm like okay good short hike that sounds good so we go for this hike and it's not a short hike at least by my standards it's like maybe an hour and a half two hours up two hours back trying to get to know somebody while huffing and puffing off like a little mountain not ideal tim it's not ideal especially when the girl realizes that she is much more in shape and much more conditioned for hiking than you are. So that I thought was a one-off. I was like, okay, well, that girl girl was like, she's into like mountain climbing and uh, really, really sporty. It won't always be like that. Every single match I had, every single girl I matched with talked to. So uh, should we go for a hike? So like, where do you, what's your favorite place to hike? And I'm just like, is this, is this like, this is how Colorado is? Like, Tim, you can speak to it from, you no, know, not a dating app perspective, but from growing up in Colorado. Is that pretty par for the course? It's pretty par for the course. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be that or like in the winter, maybe it's skiing. I mean, but the good thing about Colorado and and, and maybe this isn't something that, that, you, that you love as much, but like this, that stuff is typically always followed by craft beer. There is drinking. You just have to earn it first. Oh yeah, let's go for a hike and then we'll hit up a craft brewery. It's like, okay, cool. Can't we just like meet up at eight PM and go to a like go to a regular bar and drink at the bar? Like, can't we just do that like normal people? So I don't know. I, th- I think it's it's very 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 different culture. And without you, you don't. The other thing is without the drinks. I think there's a good reason for 
the meeting at a bar and drinking thing because it just loosens you up, you know? You know what doesn't loosen you up? Lugging a backpack up a 4,000-foot elevation climb. That does not loosen you up, Tim. So I think that there is, this isn't just like a cultural bias on my part. I think that there is some sound logic behind the, uh, the classic East Coast, let's go grab a drink at, at 8.30 and, and just chill out. Okay. I mean, I can I can feel you with the drinking. I think that there is some logic, obviously, in, in loosening up on a date and and stuff like that. Even if you even if you aren't drinking, just being in a restaurant social setting, I think, is more of a more of a I'm going to talk and I'm going to be free flowing and I'm going to kind of let my inhibitions go a little bit type of a situation than than being out on the trail for sure. Yeah. Or as in this case, I was like like half hour in, I'm like, oh, so uh, you know, no big deal or anything, but like. Are we uh, close? We we there? We at the summit? Is that the summit? She's like, uh, no, we still have like an hour left. I'm like, oh my god. I mean, that's fine. You know, hey, that's fine. Hey, I love hiking. Big outdoors guy here. But you know, just curious, just curious how much we have left. Right. Okay. I think we've settled that that one. That was that was about what I expected to say. My next question, and I can't seem to get off the topic of of chain hotels in the last few episodes, but I'm curious if there have been differences that you've noticed in chain hotels uh, uh, as you moved across the country? Like, are there things that you'll find at a hotel in upstate New York that's like a Holiday Inn or a Best Western or something that you won't find in California? Most recently, I can only speak to this in terms of masks and COVID restrictions because I I noticed in Nebraska and in Indiana and Ohio that this is probably true of you know not just chain hotels but there's a gigantic sign on the front on the, on the on the sliding door when you enter that says everyone must wear masks while in public spaces like regardless of vaccination status that's just like the holiday inn company line doesn't matter you have to wear a mask so i was like okay so i put my mask on and then you go in zero masks zero the the front desk people aren't wearing masks there's like a, a whole baseball team in the lobby none of them are wearing masks and I've just never seen such an obvious uh, posted rule be flouted so brazenly, I guess. And then when you travel more east and you get into New York, state in like upstate New York, uh, it's exact opposite. Mask, mask things still on the door. Everyone's wearing them. And then the thing is, when you're in one of those hotels and no one's wearing the mask, even though you're supposed to, I then feel weird wearing a mask. So I didn't because, you know, I wear the mask when I'm supposed to during this whole thing. But when I was in that Holiday Inn in Nebraska and no one was doing it, I was like, fuck, well, I'm not going to be the only one doing it. So screw it. Right. I mean, it seems like at least the staff should have been wearing a mask. But I mean, when the staff is not doing it, then it's almost like you are almost inappropriate by doing it. It it feels like, and that's not the case, but it feels like that. The staff was wearing one, but not correctly. Like they were wearing like under their chin. So they like had one on. Ah, That's like the ah, signal. It's almost like the dog whistle. Like, yeah, okay, guys. Like, you don't really have to wear one. Like, we're all in on it together. So I think that's. But yeah, so that's. It's in terms of uh, other stuff though. I don't know, man. I mean, I think the thing about chain hotels is that they are all the same, pretty much. Whether you go to uh, New York or California or Texas, you stay in a Holiday Inn Express. It's a Holiday Inn Express. So I almost think that they're not. There's not any differences, and that's the beauty of it. You feel familiar you feel comfortable doesn't matter where you are you're like i know this holiday inn express i've been here a thousand times before it's it's like a second home 
So they're not like the McDonald's in uh, Hawaii where you can get the spam, the mixed spam or whatever. No, I mean, if you really want to delve into their little snack cabinet where you like pay for snacks, then maybe you can find some different stuff. But uh, no, no, I think it's all pretty much the same. But I think that's that's the beauty. That's the good thing. All right. Well, that's what I got. All right. On my side of it, let's go, Tim. Uh, first question, why does every state try to lay claim to having the worst drivers. Have you noticed this? Every time I go anywhere or move anywhere or talk to anyone from a different state, they're like, oh my God, the drivers here are so awful. It's almost like a point of pride. I think that's correct. I think it's funny. So I, I have two points here. First of all, yes, in Coloradans will probably blame other people in addition to themselves. Like Coloradans love to say New Mexicans are the worst drivers. However, I know, and I'm guilty of this, when I'm coming up I-70 out of Denver, heading into the mountains, if I'm passing somebody in the left lane and I'm going like 70 and there's some dumb, you know, some dumb guy in an F-150 riding my ass, I'm not going to move over because of him. I'm not going to move over until I'm done passing everybody that's in the right lane of me. If, if I'm going faster than the people in the lane to my right, I'm not moving over until I'm done passing them. I don't care if there's a 200 foot space between the cars, I'm not moving over and I don't care about your dumb truck behind me. And that I think is the number one complaint about Colorado drivers in particular. I, I know that it drives people nuts and it almost gives me a sick pleasure to do that. <laughs> okay. And my second, my second point about that is I think that there are people think their States has the worst drivers or people will move to a place. I think something that's very common is people will move to a new place and be like, this place has the worst drivers ever because people drive slightly different than where they're from. But like I said a minute ago, people in New Mexico, excuse me, people in Colorado love to hate on how New Mexicans drive. I don't think New Mexicans inherently drive any worse than Coloradans, but people in Colorado will make fun of New Mexican drivers, especially if you're in Southern Colorado all the time. It's funny because I, I grew up thinking, okay, New York, New York drivers are the worst. That's like the, that's a stereotype that I think is like nationally known. Like, oh yeah, New York drivers, are, they're, they're crazy. They're aggressive. And then when I learned to drive and was driving around Boston, I was like, okay, Boston drivers are very, I don't know if they're bad drivers, but they're very aggressive drivers. Like there's a, there's a sense of urgency. And then when I went to Colorado, I was thinking, these guys are awful drivers too, but in a different way. I found the Colorado drivers to be uh, oblivious almost, not aggressive per se, but almost the opposite, almost having no urgency, but turning into lanes without looking who was there and peeling out of gas stations without looking and uh, driving too slowly. And yet everywhere you go, people, and especially in other countries, uh, like in Italy, you go to Italy and everyone's like, oh, the drivers in Italy, oh, they're so bad in Italy. The drivers in like, oh, the drivers around Rome, like you can't drive around Rome. Don't bother renting a car there. I think that everyone kind of likes to think that their place has the worst drivers because that means that them knowing how to drive in that place gives them a, a level of status. Like, oh, okay, you might be from Wyoming and you can drive around Wyoming, but I'm from New York. You know, it's a, I'm, a, I'm an elite driver because I can drive and navigate New York. I think that's where that comes from. But in from the other side of the coin, there really is no place that has bad drivers or worse drivers than anywhere else like you said i think everyone just drives differently yeah everybody has a different driving culture like it's the same like if you were to just land in hanoi vietnam and try to get on a motorbike and drive or a car would be even worse it's it's going to be hell for you you know but once you understand the flow of the 
thousands and thousands of motorbikes on the road, you understand how it works and it's fine, you know, but it's, it's until you understand local driving customs that you think everybody is a terrible driver. Right. Next question, Tim, when are you too old to go to the bar? And by go to the bar, I think we should clarify those terms. Uh, Go to the bar doesn't mean just set foot in a bar and have a meal. I mean, like go to the bar for the purpose of drinking and staying out till, you know, midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. with like your friends. That's what I mean. I don't mean going with your wife for like a nice date night and having one drink and going home because then I think you're never too old. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm too old for that right now. Uh, I'm 37. It's like a lifestyle thing, I think, more than it is an age because you know, when I was younger, I was involved in activities that had me out at bars all the time, you know? So it it was, it was, I didn't even think twice about it. And I feel like if I was still doing that, like if I still played music a lot, I would probably still be in bars and not really think twice about it. But because it's not, has no frame in my daily life now, like it's just weird to me now. Like I, I enjoy going out for a drink or whatever, but I couldn't tell you the last time I was at a bar at two in the morning. I mean, do you think that if you were single, it would be a different story? Yeah, I do. I definitely think that that would be a different story. I think that's the other thing. It's, it's, it's a, it, it just plays into the same thing. It's like a lifestyle thing. It's, it's what is, what is your lifestyle at this point in your life? And do, do late nights surrounded by alcohol fit into that lifestyle? Because how much of bar culture is about meeting a significant other or right you know meeting a girl meeting guys uh if it's if that's the majority of it then when you become married or a serious relationship that the motivation to go to the bar kind of goes away though i know a lot of people who are in relationships that still love going to the bar because it's a social setting it's a way for them to like they go out they hang out with their friends they drink and you know and they go home together so i think it's 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 interesting but i now see people who this past weekend, I was out and there was a bunch of um, uh, women who were in their 50s, like like early 50s, and they were all out for a girl's night and they're all wasted. And I remember thinking like, ah, oh, good for them. No shame on that. No shame on that for sure. But I think there's a difference in it being a regular part of your of your life and it being like a one off like, oh, man, like so and so's in town from high school or college, somebody you haven't seen in years or like, like, who knows why these women were all out at the bar, but I'd be willing to bet that it's not a every Saturday night thing for them. It's probably a, a one-off, you know? Right. It's different if you're out every single weekend versus just for like a special occasion or a reunion or something. So yeah. Okay. Depends. It's circumstance-based. Right. Well, before we get into the interview, I wanted to touch on one thing because Ryan paddled the Ganges River and that parallels something that happened to you, Tim, just this week. You were paddling a river in your own right and lost your cell phone. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I was uh, paddling a stretch of the Colorado River in Grand Junction. Um, and, you know, the most of the float was pretty mellow, very manageable. I was able to stand up pretty much the entire time. We came across one stretch of river that was maybe a class two, if that. Like, it was it was still pretty mellow. Like, if you were on a raft, it would be fine. But I was on a stand-up paddleboard. And I was like, I got this, I got this, whatever. I didn't sit down on my knees or whatever, which I clearly should have done. And it was literally as I was thinking, I got this, that I was tossed, like completely tossed off the board. I had to swim up back to the board, flip it over because it had gotten turned over, haul myself back on, which took a few seconds because I kept getting thrown back. 
And then I get on and realize I lost my phone and I'm an idiot for having my phone in my pocket anyway. But I was just, again, overconfident in myself and the river humbled me. You didn't respect the river. No, I didn't. I was You uh, gotta respect the river. Class it was a class two, you said? Maybe. Yeah. It was not gotta respect was, the class two thing. A raft would have rode over that no problem, but it's because I was trying to not e- not even just stand up. I was trying to like aggressively paddle and I just got tossed. Yeah, man. Never underestimated class two. Hey, even a class three or a class four. I found myself in a few class fives and I still I still defer to the river every time. Do I know what a class five is or a class two for that matter? No idea. No clue. But still, you got to respect the river. Uh, Anyway, we are going to get into the interview with Ryan talking about respecting the river. And we'll see you guys on the other side. All right. Well, we're here with Ryan. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing great. Coming to Lake Tahoe, California. So photographer, documentary filmmaker, I want to talk a little bit about stand-up paddleboarding on, on the Ganges and how the hell you guys even came up with the concept of, of the trip and how you guys planned and executed that, because that is a massive undertaking. Uh, so I've kind of made a career of coming up with harebrained ideas. Uh, that's kind of the, kind of the, what's been the cornerstone of the photo and writing work that I've done um, is I've been an editorial photographer and writer for a long time now, and I've kind of been good at pitches and uh, a long time ago, I kind of connected with Nash Paddleboards over some crazy, uh, they're, they're a Hawaii-based paddle company. Um, and I had a bunch of wild ideas of things that I wanted to do with a paddleboard before paddleboards were really used for much. And it was mostly mostly getting myself to go to places that I always wanted to go and finding someone to help me uh, fund it. They, didn't, they don't fund all my stuff, but they help out. Um, but so... I always wanted to go to the Kumela, which is the event that we went to and it happens every 12 years. And I kind of made a calendar note in like 2005 that in 2013, I should go to the Kumela and every couple of years it would ding on my calendar. said, remind me to kind of make a game plan to go to this thing. And as I kind of got more and deeper and deeper into like doing paddle expeditions kind of occurred to me that maybe we could go to that festival and uh, while the hundred hundred million people are taking buses and trains to get out of there, I figured there'd be nobody on the Ganges River, so we'd be able to make a kind of a clean getaway. And what is the Kumela before we get any further? The Kumela is the largest gathering of human beings uh, on the planet. So it's very COVID safe. Yeah, yeah. So they had one this past year, and it was like the, that's why India is kind of where it's at right now. So, the, so they say. So at least it says in some. Uh, but every three years, it's a twelve-year cycle. Every three years, there's a Kumela, which a handful of million people get up and bathe away their sins in the Ganges River. But then every 12 years is called the Maha Mela, and it's like the the grand gathering. And people basically come from all over the Hindu world to get in the Ganges and bathe away their sins. So that's kind of in a nutshell what it is. It's basically, it's go, it goes back to like the beginning of time and uh, the gods carrying a cup of golden nectar and it's spilling in, in four places. And there are definitely four, four cities in India and all along the river and if you get in the river during these auspicious days then basically you bathe away your sins and you go to go to nirvana and you skip the cycle of rebirth you just skip right over it exactly so i i've actually i've I've skipped it so which is pretty cool for me so so nirvana then is tahoe california uh well it depends it depends when and where like certain days of the week (laughs) yeah certain days it's super crowded and touristy and hot and over the top so i guess it just depends on what you're looking for 
But yeah, we definitely have moments of Nirvana here for sure. So you said people bathe in the Ganges right. as part of this festival. Uh, the Ganges is supposed to be, or uh, according to rumor, like one of the least clean rivers in the world. Is that safe to bathe in the, in the Ganges? Because I've heard stories about people like dying from ingesting Ganges river water or infecting their bloodstream and getting crazy sicknesses. Yeah, so there, the, well, the one thing that comes up a lot in our film, actually, is the difference between uh, purity and pollution or like purity and uh, and dirty. And they're different. Uh, I guess for the Ganges, it can be quite dirty and quite polluted, but also be the most pure river in the world. And that's kind of that's kind of the big juxtaposition is that uh, the the Hindu the Hindus and a lot of people uh, find it to be a tr true sense of purity, where at the same time some see it as being very polluted and others don't. Um, it's definitely polluted. It's definitely like you know high levels of all sorts of heavy metals and you know, all sorts of stuff. But I mean, people are getting in it. I, we actually ended up uh, submerging in it during that. We were having some, uh, we were having some karma issues on our trip. And we decided that the only way to truly cleanse our karma was to get in the Ganges. And to be honest, I, I'm not going to lie to you. It actually worked. Uh, we got in and to be honest, one of the guys got really sick afterwards. Um, but then he got better in a day and we were able to, we hopped on the river and then it was just like kind of, kind of magical because we were surrounded by a hundred million people. And then within like 10 seconds, we were like surrounded by like river dolphin and kind of birds. And it's really peaceful. It's not always clean, but it's actually really peaceful. And there's not, there's no like transport traffic on it. So it's not the kind, it's not like there's boats. Go, there, you see like a dugout canoe or people moving up and down fishing or something like that. But you don't see a lot of people on the river. How, and how far did you go? How far was your, your paddle journey? How, and how many days did it take? It took us five days. It's, I'm not going to get into mileage because I don't really, we didn't, I'm not like, not like a Strava kind of guy. I don't really necessarily care about that, but we paddled all day for, for days and camped on the side of the river. Um, and it was wild because people would be like, obviously it's not, not, not a big thing to be paddling down the Ganges. So we met, we met some awesome people along the way and found some little towns that we'd stop and we'd grab chai or grab food. And, and then we ended up in Varanasi, which is, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that's an unbelievable, uh, to go from the Kumela to Varanasi with like a peaceful stretch of Ganges river in between is very surreal. Cause Varanasi is like pumping on all cylinders. And then also with the Kumela, a lot of the, the holy men, the Nagasadus actually walk or, or transport themselves via however they get there. Uh, down to Varanasi. So it's kind of a continuation of the festival in like a, a riverfront city. So you went from basically being in the middle of the chaos to being in like a peaceful serenity to being back in the middle of the chaos again. So part of that karma thing is we were stuck at that festival for like three weeks and we were only supposed to be there for five days. Not stuck, but we were ended up, we couldn't get out of there. We ended up because everybody kept getting, me, me and my team, everybody kept getting sick. And two of the guys were on like a rotating sick one guy would get better, the other guy would get sick, and then that other guy would get sick, and then so we kept like not being able to leave. So how are people getting sick? Probably, you know, probably like water, waterborne, like food, food. It's pretty. It's it's easy to get sick in India. Like you, we we you you go out and you eat, and you don't know, and you know we're we're kind of adventurous eaters and stuff like that. But then there's also you're also really in cl close proximation with other people, which these days with. COVID is a whole different, I mean, a game changer. Like, so we can't even, we can't really equate the two. There's like, they, they shouldn't be mixed up because when we were there, it wasn't COVID. Although they did have a, a, a Mela, like I think in 
maybe like March or April of this year. And if you look up any Indian times or anything like that and look up Kumail, they'll talk about the super spreader of vibes of, uh, of it now. So when you're planning this and you're choosing a crew to go with you, what, what goes into that? What are you looking for in a partner? What are you not looking for? Who's getting cut? Like what's the criteria that you have in selecting somebody that would be a good travel partner for an expedition to India? So basically whenever I do these paddle trips at this point, I go with this uh, other, I have like three guys in my rotation. For the most part, those are the guys that I, that I trust. And I, I trust them from first off from a travel perspective, knowing that they can hold their own, knowing that they can deal with being sandwiched between a thousand people in a tunnel and they're not going to freak out knowing that, that they got my back. I got their back. I'm not necessarily looking for like a, some uh instagram influencer who's gonna like bring a lot of you know notoriety to the expedition i I, for a little while i thought that's maybe what you needed to do but at this point i have you know my buddy martin my buddy jay my buddy dane dane didn't go on that trip but those are guys that i do a lot of trips with now and they're just kind of like tried and true adventurers in this caliber you know like they for this kind of trip where you're going to be dealing with the cultural aspect and the uh, physical aspect, I know that they can hold their own. They're also, they also help me get what I, the imagery. They're awesome. They know what I need. They know where to be. They love doing it. Um, And that's a huge part. Like I'm not looking for someone who's necessarily competing to get their photos on Instagram first or something like that. It's not like a, like a, a popularity contest with this crew. We just like to go out and, we're doing it for the adventure and we're doing it to document the adventure. And like, I'm a little bit old school in the fact that I love traveling. I love being out there. I'm not necessarily doing it for anybody else. I'm doing it for the love of, of adventure and I'm doing it to get out there. And uh, the photography or the film might be the byproduct. It might be how I make a living off it, but I, I would do it. I'll do it for free. And I've done a lot of my trips for free, or I funded a lot of my trips. Sometimes I'll find people to fund, but if, if we're planning the trip and the funding doesn't come, we're going anyway. So Well, Tim is dipping his feet into Instagram influencing. So if you ever do need an influencer, Tim's your guy. He's uh he's gonna he's gonna model hats. That's good. I can see him. He could probably he could probably do the heart thing pretty good too. He does so. the thing where uh the hand the hand is leading is leading someone. The hand from behind the camera is leading someone like into Bali. <laughs> the follow me follow me to the beach cliche. He's he's all about that too. Only it's all in Colorado. It's all in his backyard, filled with chickens. Though that's that's the only destination he that he does those in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's key. Well, a lot of people want to be travel documentary filmmakers, like or are aspiring to be uh, some kind of travel filmmaker. It's considered a dream job by a ton of people. Um, so, as someone who actually does do that and has made full length documentary films, what is the difference between someone who actually can do this for a living and someone who is uh just aspiring to do it what's the what's the key to making it a full-time profession what's the biggest whether it's a career move people need to make or personality shift what is that in your mind i mean for me it started by like just i just went and did it anyway i built up a huge library of imagery and of stories and of places that i've been and I kind of didn't like, I kind of didn't bust out all my stuff until I felt like it was good and professional. Um, and then th- th- that's that's kind of how I did it. These days things are a little different because people have uh, different outlets to 
put their stuff out. Whereas when I, when I started doing it, it was just like, you know, hanging photos in, in coffee shops or something like that. You know, after you went on a trip or doing a slideshow and that's kind of, I built my career off slideshows. Like I'd go somewhere exotic, come back, do a slideshow. And then eventually that turned into like other, like somebody like recommending me to their friend who was an editor of a magazine. And they were like, I heard you're a good storyteller. I think everybody's going to do it different. I, I, I'm a huge proponent of, uh, of the, a little bit of the old school form, like learn from somebody instead of just like watching YouTube all the time, like do what the people did that came before you, which is what I did. Uh, get an apprenticeship, learn from somebody who's been doing it, who's a professional, um, who, who has learned the ropes and can teach you some stuff. And then you can kind of take what you're good at and learn a couple things from that person and kind of put it into the, into the world. And then you're actually bringing like, some like professional knowledge into the world instead of winging it, which is also fine, I guess, too. Well, I think a lot of the art and the appreciation for documentary filmmaking has kind of been lost with like the YouTube age because it used to be you had to like have a well imagined, thoroughly thought out production that requires a whole crew to make travel videos. Then that's that yep. was the way people could get a, a window into that place. Now, you don't have to, people don't have the attention span to sit and watch an hour documentary that might be much, much more expertly produced than a 15 minute YouTube video by some influencer. People can see the place, same exact place without really getting the production value that, that comes with your work. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of still a proponent. Like that's what I hear all the time, but I still like, I still like looking at our movies that are awesome. Like well, like well right yeah i think a lot of people who might be in the industry do but yeah there are some short stuff that is also extremely well made and obviously like phenomenal but man i i, I turn off the short crappy stuff faster than i turn off the long stuff like put on i mean that's the thing i also don't understand is like people spend so much time like staring at their computer watching netflix like i feel like people still want those like good hour-long docs i think that they've been programmed to think that they don't want that but i really do think that they want that and i i do think people also want the 15 minutes like but as long as it's good quality is kind of or at least interesting is kind of what matters to me is that it's just something i think i think what bothers me most more than even that is just the 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 the, the lack the fact that you don't really have to do your own research to go to places anymore that you can just look at someone else's blog and like exactly yeah the top 10 lists or like the where should i go eat like for us you go eat and if you get diarrhea and you throw up that's your fault you know like <laughs> but now it's like you just go to trip you go to one of those i'm not going to say any names but you go to one of these places and they tell you where to go eat and then you're not really actually like learning anything you're not meeting those people who live in that back alley that that you used to get to meet because you wandered down a back alley and some woman invited you into their house to eat dinner. Like, I think for me, that's kind of what's more important than anything else is, is the human interact. Like why, why I do it is just the people you get to meet and the interactions you get to have. And like, I mean, honestly, like I get to do this and I'm stoked that I get to do this, but I'd go do this anyway, even if I wasn't working, like. I'm curious that if, if you feel that there's a point at all where and an adventure and all the stuff too, where we're kind of a, where we approach cultural appropriation at all. Like when I met you, we were in Oaxaca at Dia de Muertos and like, you know, I'd been there for a couple of months, but certainly we built the timing of our trip around making sure we were there for that event, you know, because we wanted to see it, my wife and I. 
And so I, I'm, but then, you know, as a travel writer or a photographer or whatever, you come home and you produce content about these things. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on if there's a line and, and what should be left out. I, I definitely think there's a line. There was a point in my career as a traveler and a journalist that I decided that I wasn't going to travel anymore. Um, I, I did a trip to Ethiopia and then I, uh, for two months and then I was ending up at the world cup in South Africa and in Ethiopia, like everything that could have happened negatively in the realm that you're talking about happened. Like everything, everything that I t touched, I thought turned to shit. Like, Every all the people that I came in contact with, I either felt like I was in some way having a negative impact on their general way that their life was flowing, either just by me being there or me by having stuff that they hadn't seen before or by me just being a disruption to their like everyday way of life. I thought like the being involved and going to tribes was going to be like this amazing Thing that I always wanted to do. And then every time I went there, there was just like fights and backstabbing and just also across the board. And it got to the point where like at the end of the trip, like I was basically in tears and being like, what is the point of me doing this? Like, the, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the greater good of the world? And I'm definitely not doing when I came to the conclusion that what I was doing was not helping the world at all. And I didn't do anything for a couple of years and I just was like, I just started like going to Europe and just like going to cities and just like doing things like that and not going off, off the beaten path or doing anything like that. I think it's that classic thing of geotagging, naming places, doing all that stuff. I do everything I can to like, just, just provide the information that's actually necessary. You don't, I'm not, I don't need to provide information just to like toot my own horn about how cool I am. Cause I went to this particular town. Like, you don't, you could just, you could talk about places in, in, in wider areas and you don't have to like, I just don't think you need to give people the actual roadmap of where they need to go. I think it's, it should be open to people. People should go where they want to go because they want to go. And if they want to go, cause I want, went and they want to call me and ask me questions, I'm, I'm more than happy to provide questions. I'm not going to give them a roadmap though. Cause I, like I said, I think, I think it's up to people to like, I, I was a big fan as a kid of those choose your own adventure books. That was like kind of how I shaped my existence and that's kind of how i shape my life at this point it's like you want to go somewhere go there and if you want a little help I'll give you a little help but traveling is something you're supposed to like create so well i'm curious so films like karma bombs and uh, your trip down the ganges how would you say that that kind of contributes something uh, valuable to the space and kind of contributes to the greater good. How did the trip just in general, like shape your view of India, of Hinduism and what you were trying to communicate with that regard to the viewer? I think what it did, what it did for me was uh, make me realize that if you have that many people all with the same belief and all doing something at the same time for the exact same reason, how unbelievably powerful it is. Like the fact that we went to this thing and we went for our own reasons and when we got there, all people cared about was getting in the river. Didn't matter how far they walked to get there. Like regardless of like your religion or what you believe in, if you, if you, if you join forces with people and you're, and you're sharing in a belief of the power that you have and the power that that event had on me and my crew is unbelievable. Just like, being there and like feeling it and feeling the religion 
and you know obviously i'm not a hindu but like the warmth and just like just not being that judgmental of what other people believe in and just kind of letting people be be them that that's what i got out of it and that's what i you know there there's one scene in the movie where like i say something and i've seen the scene in the movie a million times and i'm actually being pretty judgmental and i'm being judgmental about the 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 pollution in the river and some guy says something to me and i'm kind of like are you serious like you don't think the river's dirty and i can see it in my facial expression and i can hear it in my voice and every time i look at it i'm like couldn't you have approached that and not have been so judgmental like couldn't you have just asked the guy like because this guy doesn't he didn't he doesn't believe that he doesn't necessarily know that it's not it's not something in his realm but for me like i come at it like this american who has all this information and i know what's right and I know how to fix the world. And that's honestly not what we were going for in our film. But it's like, if I could go back and change one thing about the movie, it would have been that. Just like asking the same question, but not being a judgmental prick about it. You know, not not being like a typical right. know-it-all American guy. Yeah, he was like, well, the river is spiritually significant and pure in the way that you were describing earlier. And you're coming at it from a scientific, uh, more like mineral perspective of it being dirty. So you're talking across purposes. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, man, I, this is, I cook my food when I get sick. My family drinks this. We, we're fine. Maybe you're sick, but we're fine. And I'm like, can't, can't argue with it. Like you can see the trash right next to him. But I just think we all, we have, we have this tendency to always think that we know what's best and that we're the right ones. And we might be, we might be trying, we might be trying to be right. Or I just, there's certain things like that. They make you kind of double you know, rethink what you actually think is important in life and important in what you're doing and just kind of like give yourself up to the moment. And that's like part of like getting in the river. I was so scared. I was terrified. Most scared I've ever been. Like I did everything I could to not let any water get into my mouth. I was like, like when I got out, I was like blowing the water, trying to like blow it out of my stash. So I wouldn't swallow any of it. But like everyone else is like, in there like smiling and frolicking and dancing and i mean it's such a it's, it's such a simple thing too like a pilgrimage to walk down to a river and bathe in the river yep that that's like at its essence what it is yep but the sheer amount of people that are doing it and the kind of the spiritual significance behind it turn this very simple thing this very simple basic act into something super powerful exactly and uh, one thing i want to not also not forget to mention is jeremiah kent was the, my partner on it and he's the one who kind of did a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting on the actual final product of the film we did a lot of it together but he i don't want to make sure i don't leave out his name jeremiah kent there was there was one part in the in the movie where you guys are at the festival and you're kind of hanging out and you're pretty much like surrounded by poop seems <laughs> yeah uh like like certainly not what you would consider by by a, a sanitary situation and i'm curious how you guys went about filming during those situations is this something that you kind of set up or was this something you're like we just got to turn the camera on film this and then move on how how does the filming go when you're in a crazy setting like that uh you know that's one thing we realized we knew beforehand that there was gonna be a lot of shit everywhere i mean india in general can be fairly shitty and literally shitty and you know people just kind of go to the bathroom all over the place they they i think this was the first time where they they put like actual like public bathrooms around and it turns out that everyone was like just like didn't know how to use them and they're just like shitting on the side 
but you have to know, you have to like, if you're not paying attention, like in the scene you're talking about, we weren't paying attention to what we knew. Like if you go in an open area or you go behind houses, that's where people go to the bathroom. And if you like think that you're going to this spot and that's going to be like your moment of Zen, cause there's no one there. You're basically entering the, the sewer area. India will let you know real quick when you are not on the right path uh, and it doesn't pull any punches. And when you, if you think you're like got the better of India, you've, you've, you're, you're moving too fast and it's going to get the better of you. Um, and in those situations, it's just like, you know, you want to take that quick shortcut. You're going to pay the price. What do you think is more unsanitary that situation in India or just a typical like EDM festival in the woods of Portugal that attracts like all these hipsters that stay for three days in tents and just do psychedelics and shit everywhere. Yeah, you know, it just, it, it depends if people are washing their hands and they're covering their poop, then it's <laughs> one thing, you know, like, you know, in India, like people are using, people are sometimes wiping their ass with their hands. You know, I've actually, uh, uh, I'm a hundred percent a bidet guy. I haven't used toilet paper in five years. So interesting. Uh, I'm actually... I'm actually I'm actually a proponent now of of the water on the ass instead of toilet paper. I think to, like honestly, like I, we I also play in a band called The Inappropriators, and we write dirty songs. And we have a song called Butthole Revolutionary, and it's basically <laughs> about, it's basically about not using toilet paper. And when you first get to India, you're like ew, and then and then when you don't use toilet paper anymore, you're like, what kind of animal was I for all those years when I was wiping with smearing shit all over my ass with toilet paper <laughs> until it went away. Like you sit in front of water for two seconds, your ass is clean. You're done with taking a shit in five minutes. Sorry, thirty seconds. Like I was gonna ask for your for your argument for the in favor of the bidet. So that that's it right there. Just like it's quicker, more sanitary. Your, your butt never hurts. Like you're, it's just it's just it's 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 evolution. Like there's a point there's a point when we're like we're living in the past, and like I think people were I think like the English were wiping their ass in like the 1800s, and we're still doing that. And now you just turn this little thing on your on your toilet and your ass is clean in five seconds and you're done and you're laughing. During COVID, we put bidets on our toilets in the house. And I you can tell it's crazy now. Like you you can tell if you go a few days without using the bidet, you're like, oh, I feel dirty. That was your that was your COVID uh, preparedness uh, strategy was this thought right. of like, no, the world's coming to an end. We're all getting get sick and die. There's shortages on everything. Quick, install a bidet. That'll that'll fix it. That'll make us. That'll I, make bought, us I bought a a backup i got a backup of like that's just still boxed up just in case that ever happens again yeah do you think like in 50 years 50 100 years people are going to look back and be like did everyone people like bought toilet paper like what even like kids are going to be like what's mom what was toilet paper remember when we used one ply yeah exactly but i learned that in india i mean i learned that from traveling and i liked it when i used it there and now i use it here and to be honest almost i would say half to three quarters of my friends all use bidets. you're an influencer he's a bidet influencer exactly all right. Well, on, on that note, we're going to move into our listener question here. And we usually do a question every week where we curate a, a list of questions from listeners and pick the most relevant one. We're going to do something a little different this week because I think that the question I'm going to ask you that is my question is going to provide more value to the listener. And so this question is, I met you, the reason I met you is because we were in Oaxaca, Mexico on Dia de Muertos in a packed restaurant. I was there with my wife and our friend and we couldn't get a table. And you and your wife and your baby at the time offered to let us sit at your table. Why did you do that? Uh, multiple reasons, I would say. Uh, first off, I like, I like meeting people. 
Um, I like meeting people. That's that's the number one. That's first reason why I travel in the first place is to not talk to my neighbor, to go meet other people. Uh, it was also packed, and I think I noticed that you guys were standing there waiting. We also have a newborn, and we don't we, at the time. I don't think we really knew what to do with each other, so we got someone else to talk to. Tim was the buffer. Okay. And also, I want. I guess I wanted to be on your podcast, so I figured if I if I asked you to sit with me at some point, it would come back. And, and he's like, this guy. I don't know this guy, but he looks like the kind of guy who has a podcast. Yeah, that that guy looks like in a year and a half he might start a podcast. <laughs> I would say more so than anything else is I'm my my first move is always to chat with people. I kind of do it all the time. Like I, me and my kid bike to the farmer's market this morning and we said hi to everybody on the bike path. Um, I kind of, I kind of feel like that's, you know, I'm not always the nicest person. I'm a New Yorker. I can be a total asshole at times, but my first move is always to be nice to people and to always say hello and good morning. And, uh, always ask people if they need a hand or if they need a place to sit or that's, that's just one of the things my kid does it now too. And she's two. So, um, I kind of, I, I just think we're people, people, and we like to hang out with cool. people. So, well, we'll leave it at that, man. Thank you for joining. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. And on. All right. Well, here we are on the takeaway section after a nice chat with Ryan Psalm. Thanks again, Ryan, for coming on. Uh, if you haven't checked out his movie, Karma Bums on Amazon, go check it out. It's definitely worth a watch. My first takeaway from the, from chatting with Ryan, um, that kind of confirms how he, how we met, um, is that, you know, when you're, when you're in a culture, that's not your own open-mindedness is the key, you know, and something that you perceive as quote unquote dirty, somebody else probably doesn't. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like kind of an asshole now. I was like talking, thinking this whole time and talking about like, Oh, the Ganges river is so dirty. Like, can you get like, you die from getting uh, like swallowing Ganges river water. And meanwhile, you know, people in India, view this river as incredibly pure from a spiritual perspective. And I mean, one, one man's uh, dirty is another's, uh, is another's purity, which is really fascinating to hear because it's so easy to look at the river and be like, this thing is disgusting. But also if you understand the its significance in this religion, it really has a cleansing uh, power that isn't the kind of cleansing that you're thinking of when you're just taking a bath. Right. That's uh, that's absolutely true. And I like the way that he, framed the way that he communicated with people and even called out a regret he had uh, in a communication with somebody while they were over there in India filming that. Yeah. And speaking of uh, getting clean, the second takeaway, at least for me, is toilet paper is out, but days are in. I agree. I mean, we made the change last last year during COVID. And I've got to say, I know that we were not the only ones to do so because the first bidet that we ordered took so long to arrive that we ordered a second one thinking that the first one had gotten lost in the mail. And so that's actually why we have two. Tim's so impatient for his bidet that he ordered a bidet while waiting for his bidet to arrive. Right. That's exactly right. But I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, why would you? There have been studies that show that bidets clean the bottom better than toilet paper. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see those studies. I think uh, we've always been blindly kind of following the toilet paper trend for, for years now. And not even, you know, I, I included have thought like, oh, but days, it's kind of weird. I don't know how that works. Like, is that really that clean? I still want toilet paper. I don't know. I think you might have a point. And I think, uh, what, do you th what do you think, Tim? And give it 10, 15, 20 years. You think that people are going to be making the switch? You think toilet paper is going to go the way of, you know, uh, like gas guzzlers? And uh, I mean, 
It might be, man. I'll tell you what, we got to get those char- those Charmin lobbyists out of the Washington, D.C. <laughs> the toilet paper lobby is massive in Washington. You got the oil lobby and you got the toilet paper lobby. And I think that collectively, they are just, they're controlling the government. People talk about a deep state. It's really a deep toilet paper state. But anything else, Tim? Any more takeaways? I think that'll do it. I think that episode spoke for itself. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of No Blackout Dates. We're going to be coming at you next week with a brand new episode, so stay tuned for that. Let us know what you think about Toilet Paper's first bidet's hot-button issue. Very controversial. Let us know. Send us an email at noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com, and we will catch you guys later.